Hey, Ashley, we need some buffer to get through Hyperforce. Uh, you want to just read through the old Power Rangers comics? Yeah, sure. I don't think that sounds too bad. Oh, yeah, it's probably only like 60 pages worth. Won't be that bad. Why is it nearly a thousand pages? I'm a horde of tiny flying elephants flying away from a fruit bat, Ashley. And I'm a bulkamaniac Sid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Ranger's Plane, where Sid, enthusiastic lifelong Power Rangers fan, takes me, Ashley, reluctant new fan, through the world of Power Rangers and Power Rangers accessories. <laughs> and this month, we're doing more comics. In this case, more old comics with the ones prior to Boom Studios which have been released by Boom Studios in two trade volumes called The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Archive, uh, which don't really have a summary for like we usually do, just because, yeah. like, it's a bunch of old comics. They're not really tied together in any way other than, like, these were kind of... Especially the old 90s one, it feels like it was like, ah, we can make more money on Power Rangers, so... Pretty much. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go over the history of some of the books or rather we're going to go over the history of power rangers in comics prior to boom and go over some of the books however a lot of it was monster of the week stuff uh so we're not really going to go super heavy into plot details Dina geek a few years ago did more kind of in-depth like plot summaries of some of the weirder books so we'll link that um that article into the show notes so you can read it as well and just kind of be truly boggled by some of the stuff that was in that was published oh yeah and this is kind of mostly how it's covered within the archive as well we should note that the boom studios archive while it is a very well well done omnibus like that's still missing stuff that due to particular copyright holders yeah it, there's also some pages might also be missing or out of order but generally, it's covered pretty well in chronological order, so we're going to kind of cover it here. So we'll start with our um, with our history. We're going to start with the Hamilton Comics era. Um, so Hamilton Comics was the first run that Power Rangers had in comic books, and this particular publisher was a very small publisher. They were known more for publishing like Scrooge McDuck books, as well as I think Tales of the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. So it's especially interesting because it's like I. It's definitely one of those, like, 90s, like, small publishers that I had never heard of because they've been long gone for a while now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I think what was interesting about these particular books is instead of doing it as, a, like, an ongoing, they did it as, like, a group of miniseries. Yeah, um, that was something that was very interesting about Yeah, them. and, like, they talk about it in the, like, kind of in the back of, like, because, so the archive, the second archive has, like, a whole, like collection of letters from across the entire you know the entire history of power rangers and comics so basically they had done it as like a group of miniseries to kind of just uh well one i guess it was cheaper that way and also like kind of just to see if like the comics would do well oh uh, which sounds like they did pretty well for hamilton but we'll get into that more later so, of course, interesting about, like, the first, like, miniseries is that they had initially, you can tell that they wrote, like, the script itself was written to be Rita as the main antagonist. Let's say that, like, season two happened. Yeah, so basically these were being published around the time of season two. And so for the first few issues, well, first of all, for the first few issues, you still have Zach, Trini, and Jason in there. But also, just yeah, just the weird part is that they clearly intended to write Rita in there, but then Zed showed up, and they didn't have a whole lot of details about Zed. So Zed is the is the antagonist, but he acts like Rita like the whole time. Yeah, it's it, that was like it threw me off at first, and then when you mentioned that, I'm like, okay, now it makes sense why he just was yeah. Rita. 
So, yeah, Zed was, so Zed's, like, weird for the first six issues, and then it kind of levels out. Um, It's also interesting, a couple of points, like, I think, like, especially in one of those early ones, they hadn't given the last names to the Rangers yet, or if they had them, like, it wasn't, like, you know, it's not something that you're going to super well know unless you're, like, super deep in lore. Because I think they gave them, like, the last, like, they bring up the last names of a couple of the Rangers, I'm like, that's not their last name. Yeah. Like, I think they had a weird one for Rocky, and then I, at one point, a gym teacher calls Kimberly, like, Mrs. S- like Miss Smith. Yeah, and her last like name's her- actually, like, Hart, and it's mentioned in the series. Yeah, so, I mean, but again, I think it was one of those cases where, like, they, they were given some materials by Saban, like, to say that, like, this is coming up, but otherwise, they were finding it out as... We were fine, like, as they were finding it out back in the 90s, like, they would watch an episode, this would come up, they would write the comics, and then by the time that the comics were published, that material is already outdated. (laughs) (laughs) And then they have just a bunch of, like, nerds in their, and and I'm including the children in this, they have a bunch of nerds in their letters section being like, why don't you watch the series sometime? It's like, things never change. Yeah. But yeah, I think besides those kind of things was that this is honestly out of all of the out of all of the Monster of the Week series that was coming out of uh Power Rangers comics before Boom. These are the weirdest ones yeah, by far. Like <laughs> there's one where Aisha's skydiving. You mentioned like Clem needs to clean her room and I think she gets grounded for it. No, that was a separate oh, yeah, one. She, so there's one They all kind of bleed together in the weirdness. Yeah, so there's one where, like, Kim has an argument with her mom about cleaning her room. And, like, so she goes out for the day and, like, goes out with the rangers to fight, you know, fight the putties. But she can't find her power coin. And she can't find her power coin when she goes back to her room because her room is messy. (laughs) So she has to clean it in order to find her power coin. And it's sitting under, like, she was using it as a canister. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm sorry, not a canister. She was using it as a coaster, rather. That, that but sounds very a coaster for a, that, a coaster for a canister. That, that is that is the most teenage thing ever. Uh, I, I one of the Kim plots I do remember. She got grounded. I forgot why, and they needed her help. So like Tommy talked to her stepdad, and her stepdad's like, "Tommy, you've always been a reasonable gent. You're right." <laughs> oh yeah, because she got grounded for spending too much money at the mall. <laughs> Aisha went skydiving at one point and ended up somewhere and Zed was trying to trick her. And I think the weirder thing is not Aisha skydiving, but the fact that Rocky's favorite novel is The Stranger. Yeah, and it's like by Camus. Like, does Rocky even know what who Camus is? Yeah, I'm just like, Rocky seems like the type of guy who would like 1984 because there's mention of boobs. Right. <laughs> Or, like, once you tell him that there's dirty jokes in Shakespeare. Like, he's like, oh, I'm all over Shakespeare now. It's like, he seems like that type of an immature teenager. Yeah. Truly, though, my favorite plot. Well, okay. I have two favorite plots from this particular era. There's one comic where the rangers are bitten by things called tood ticks. Oh, yeah. And so, like, it basically makes them have a bad attitude and like, so they're at, so they end up being assholes to Zordon, and so, and so Zordon instead of being like, "Huh, this is weird," is like, "Like, wow, you guys are assholes now. I'm taking away your ranger powers." <laughs> <laughs> um, which is just fucking hilarious to me. And then the second one has like a plot where they get like they everybody in town is attacked by a horde of tiny flying elephants. Yeah. And so they don't know how to beat the elephants. It's very much a situation of facing a hundred uh, duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck. <laughs> the horse-sized duck is easy to deal yeah. with. But the duck-sized horses is a problem. <laughs> yeah. But so <laughs> the resolution of that plot is literally... It's so dumb. It, it, it's just, it's one of those things I'm like, I can't believe, okay, sure, this is how this works, is that they make some comment about elephants being afraid of mice. So Billy is like, 
oh, I have an idea. Let's just use bats because bats are mice with wings. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yes, yeah, that's how that works. Uh, but it worked. So, I yeah, that plot just makes me stop and go, mice, bats, okay, sure. <laughs> uh, I kept thinking mm-hmm. with one of them because it had to do with like sentient garbage or something. Mm-hmm. And all I could think of in the back of my head was Danny DeVito as Frank yelling, I'm the trash man. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's, they are truly, those, yeah, that particular run is truly special. And also has like, yeah, it's just, it's very interesting. <laughs> it's very, it's, I sometimes wish these were like actual Power Rangers episodes because I'm like, these actually would sound like they would be weird and fun Power Rangers episodes. Yeah, we'll kind of get into that a little bit. Actually, like. The, you know, these particular ones, I think they just kind of were, like, they went a little off the beaten path of trying to create monsters. Like, because, you know, yeah. how, I mentioned it on Twitter about how, like, you know, usual, like, MMPR episodes would have, like, or at least Power Rangers in general would have a monster that was, like, that they would theme the episode around. Yeah. And they would just make shit up for the Hamilton comics, like, Mr. Fister. I remember that. Was it the one that was basically the stick figure and like you didn't even try? Yeah, it was just a giant stick figure with giant feet and hands. It had a face like Coily from like the MST3K short about like the spring. Oh yeah. Oh. It was Coily straightened out and turned into a stick figure. Yeah, that that sounds about right. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, um. So the an interesting thing about how the Hamilton comics era ended was that the last series they did was uh, called the the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Saga, and the, the whole intent of that was to kind of just be a abbreviated retelling of seasons one and two up until the point that they were publishing the comics, basically to kind of cover, you know, how the Power Rangers got together, how Tommy joined the team. Um, how Tommy lost his powers and became the White Ranger. And I think eventually the plan was that they were also going to cover how Aisha, Adam, and Rocky joined the team. But it was cut off after three issues. because they So they got as far as Tommy becomes the White Ranger. But because of backwards dealings that Saban made, um, Marvel got the license and they had to cut off after issue three. And... So, I mean, because especially, like, reading about, like, the, the guy who was writing the books at the time, he had, like, he had this whole intention of having, like, this background running joke turn into, like, the main plot by, like, issue six. Okay. Um, basically something about, like, a, he was some sort of, like, it basically, like, what would happen if, like, the Cabbage Man from Avatar The Last Airbender got his oh own, ep- like, basically there was a whole episode revolving around him. Um... Which is definitely interesting to kind of read about. And, like, I guess the whole idea was to have, like, you know, especially because, like, you know, back in the 90s, you don't really have Netflix to go back and rewatch everything. So, like, it was supposed to be a way to be, like, here's the, here's the backstory of what you might have missed on Power Rangers. Cause especially because yeah. if you never got to see that episode in syndication. Which is pretty smart in a lot of ways. Yeah, um. like, I thought it was, like, a, actually, I'm like, oh, this is actually a really well done way to, like explain the backstory especially for somebody who may have like forgotten or didn't get to see those episodes so they might have just been like wait when did tommy become the white ranger who who are these three people from stone canyon yeah but since marvel got the license hamilton cut that off after issue three and then we go into our marvel comics era which you definitely owned an issue which is not in the archive it's not in the archive because it was the movie issue Mm -hmm. And it was not in the archive because that the movie is earned by 20th Century Fox uh, or whoever owns Fox now. I think it's Disney, Yeah, so, so I think at the time when, I want to say at the time when Boom was publishing it, I don't think that particular um, mm-hmm. deal was done. So I think they could, yeah. I think they could probably do it now, but it's it's weird. Yeah, back, um, yeah it's, it's weird. Back at that time period, mm-hmm. uh, they could not have accessed that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I remember like looking through, like, oh, here were some of the issues that Marvel did, and I'm like, oh my god, I had that one. 
Yeah, which I think there's, like, I did find, like, an archive of, like, old Power Rangers comics, so, like, it's definitely in there, I just didn't get a chance to read it before we did this episode. I, I haven't had a chance to, to reread that either, so, um, I, I will say, like, no, I was like, oh, wow, I just distinctly remember getting this, because it was Power Rangers, and I loved Power Rangers, and my dad was like, yeah, sure, can. Yeah. So they did, they did do a special for the comic, which I think the comic is supposed to be like a, um, a brief retelling of the, of the movie. Yeah. But the ones we do see in the archive are most of the, the Marvel books. And I say most, because not only are they missing that, they also had the licenses for VR Troopers and Masked Rider. Yeah. But... I guess Boom does, like, I think this confirms, at least at the time of when they published this, Boom does not own those licenses. Yeah, and I think Mass Rider falls under uh, Ishimori Productions, apparently. Yeah. There, there, there's something a little weird about Mass, uh, Saban's Mass Rider being tied to uh, Ishimori right. Productions. So they can't obviously get the, the license right away for it. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's a... Uh, Kind of sad, but also, like, if you've ever seen clips of that comic, Dax, okay, so I want to iterate, Dax really does, is a 15-year-old in the series, Mm -hmm. and he 100% looks like a 15-year-old, like a gangly teenager, and this Dax has, like, city miles on his face, (laughs) It, you know, it's not that teenagers can't be bulky, but normally at 15, you're not that bulky. But it's like, this guy is city miles and like an Arnold Schwarzenegger build. He, he, this Dax owns a mortgage. Right. That's <laughs> what Kurt told me. It's like, that Dax owns a mortgage. Yeah. And then like the VR Troopers ones were interesting. Cause I didn't get a chance to read those yet either, but they did it as like a flip book with like the Ninja Rangers book that they were publishing. Yeah. So, like, on one side, you would have, like, the, the Ninja Rangers story, and then you'd flip the book over, and it would be your VR Troopers story, which I'm like, I I only really see comics do that those these days with, like, on free comic book day. Because I think the, I once had a, um, I once had a free comic book day book that was, like, Zadarsky's, like, uh, Zadarsky, um, Chip Zadarsky's first bit of writing Spider-Man on one side, and the other side was Secret Empire. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I don't, yeah, I don't see a whole lot of comics do that these days anymore. I think what's interesting about Marvel is that, well, one, it's less weird, the stories are real less weird than the, um... Than the Hamilton Comics era, like, I think at that point they kind of figured Mm -hmm. out, like, kind of, like, what the vibe of a usual Power Rangers episode is, and we're trying to replicate that. Not to say that there aren't weird stories in there. Yeah. But, like, I think especially, like, it's, one, it's interesting to see, like, the art, like, especially because you're starting to get into that period where you can definitely clock something as a 90s comic book. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's, it definitely is, like, mm. mm mm-hmm. Yeah, because, like, there's this one issue where, um, basically, uh, I think it was, like, there was a, there was, I think Kimberly and Aisha were trying to comfort this one girl who wanted to play for, like, on her school's baseball team, but they told Mm -hmm. her, you can't play because you're a girl, which, by the way, I, I, having rewatched well, rewatched the League of Their Own movie and watched about half of the new TV series. I really do not understand why we still have this gender divide in baseball, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there of this particular episode. But then, like, you get to this one part in the in the book where like Bulk and Skull show up and just be like, sound like the fucking comment section of every WNBA tweet on the ESPN Twitter. <laughs> they're they're just like. Yeah, there's no great female athletes out there. We're way better at sports than they are. And then they absolutely fall on their fucking face. But they also that, just, they looked like 40 years old in that particular, um. <laughs> but what's especially interesting about the Marvel comic era is this is when you really start getting people who have been, like, deeply involved in comics like are working on the books a lot of these issues were either written by fabian uh Nisiza, who was the co-creator of deadpool and then you have scott lobdell who wrote a lot of x-men red hood and the outlaws teen titans 
Um, also was known for being a bit of a sex pest, but again, neither here nor there. Yeah. But then you'd also get like, there's just a couple of issues that were also drawn by Steve Ditko. That was like the most random shit, honestly. It's like, Steve Ditko. Yeah. Fucking Steve, you got Steve Ditko drawing goddamn Power Rangers? Okay. I think it's also just the fact that like, yeah, it's, I think that's especially like Marvel bullpen era where you just have like, whoever's available, you're just like, yeah, just work on this book. Yeah. Makes sense. Like, hey, work on this book. Yeah. We need it out. So yeah, I think they continued making those for like most of 96 like 95 96 yeah. but then like i don't know if they license expired or this is around the time image comics started up so uh yeah so our, our, our sorry go ahead i was like so guess who got the license <laughs> so around the time zia is coming out image comics gets the license and they make a whole big deal out of it and like even rob liefeld was editing those books and they only made one comic <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it definitely has, um, definitely feels like there's it's very the art of that era, if that makes sense, except, you know, the person can actually draw feet. Yeah, like, it's, it's very <laughs> 90s image comics. Like, that's the easiest way yeah. I can describe how that particular book looks. Yeah, it looks like, at first I thought it was Rob Liefeld, and then it's like, no, Adam has a perfectly drawn foot there. So right. So that is obviously not Rob Liefeld. Yeah, um, and there was a planned crossover with Youngblood, which was a very early image series that Rob Liefeld did work on, um, but it just never came to fruition. They got as far as advertising it, and it never came to fruition. Yeah. Um, and, well, it's interesting reading that particular issue, because it does look like they had planned to have, like, an ongoing storyline. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was just like, oh, man, this is interesting. Boop. Yeah, so we nev- never, <laughs> it's never got farther than that. It's just, it's so, it's very interesting to have this brief blip of like, oh, Power Rangers was an Image Comics book. Never did anything else beyond that. <laughs> yes. Um. So then I guess the, it bounced back over to Acclaim, which is now known as Valiant Comics. For another short-lived mm-hmm. license, uh, which turned out um, three books in total. One of those was a crossover with Big Bad Beetleborgs Metallics, which is not in the archive. Yeah. Um, but other than that, there was two pretty okay straight-up Turbo comics. Yeah, I thought the, the those were, of the very old ones, those were kind of my favorite put-together ones, was kind of the old, because this is kind of like... Wow, if only you written Justin like this. Like an actual fucking child. Yeah, like, it still comes across a little bit of like, oh, Kat's mothering him, or Tommy's being trying to be like a father figure instead of an older brother, but like, it's, they're actually pretty solid. Yeah. Which is like, the the most nice thing I can say about a book written by Dan Slott. <laughs> <laughs> the second one was, the second oh. one was. Um, yeah. Which again, is one of those cases like, Dan Slott wrote for... <laughs> Power Rangers? Okay. He's gonna he's gonna block us now because we mentioned him on the podcast oh, he, and we're like He blocked me ages ago. It's fine. I met our I met our actual Ranger Splain Oh, Again, I don't care. No love no lost. No love lost. I there, learned, anyway. no, no love lost. Maybe that's why they only got like those three issues. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um also like another case of like Wow, this person was involved with that. Like, one, you had, again, mentioned Dan Slott writing one of those issues. But Ron Lim drew both of the issues that are featured in the archive. And Ron Lim was known for his work on, like, cosmic books at Marvel. Like, he was known for, like, Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War. He drew Silver Surfer for years. And so it's just like, you're you're here drawing Power Rangers books? Okay. Like, okay, you're you're here for a paycheck, obviously. Yeah, like, everybody has one, like... We're going to get to the one, uh, we'll get to one I'll mention on the side here in a bit of paper cuts where I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I I knew paper cuts because T.D. Howard wrote a fucking Barbie book for them. (laughs) But anyway, we'll get to them in a second. Um, So, yeah, so they did those few issues with Valiant or Acclaim at the time, and they're they're solid. They're pretty okay. And I'll go and I'll, I'll go check out the Beetleborgs one later. 
Um, and then for years, there's not really anything solid in terms of like, uh, you know, having an actual license through like a, a comics house. So they did a lot of like, they did two photo comics for Ninja Storm and Dino Thunder through Tokyo Pop. I vaguely remember this. If I own these, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because they're also, because Tokyo Pop is just, they, they made shit so cheaply. Right. They're probably also falling apart at this rate. <laughs> yeah, I sold my old, like, mixed comics Sailor Moon books, which was early Tokyo Pop, to somebody years ago. And, like, they've probably already fallen out and are just on the floor. Um but yeah, like for Tokyo, yeah. So Tokyo popped to those photo comics, which I remember them having. Not just that, but I think they did photo comics for like Card Captors and a few other properties as well. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, because you know Stu Levy was just like, I want to make a gazillion dollars <laughs> off of Tokyo Pop. What do you mean I have to be a better manager of this? <laughs> DJ Milky strikes again. Um, DJ Milky, I can't believe we have DJ Milky in our podcast. Oh, it was bound to happen at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so the, they had photo comics they did through Tokyo Pop, and then they did strips in Disney Adventures, which I don't know if anybody else remembers Disney Adventures. Um, oh, I do. Yes. I was a little aged out by the time they did that. But. Yeah, so I, I guess... You know, Disney just being like, okay, we own Disney Adventures. So they did these comic strips through Disney Adventures. They did uh, through the Jetix magazine as well and a couple other places. They also did, like, a mini comic for, like, Jungle Fury that came out with the um, with the action figures. But they never did anything yeah. for RPM. Because, I mean, at that point, there with RPM, they were just like, we're fucking done with this shit. And they... Done with this shit. Get it out the door. That's and they didn't it. Own, they, I don't think they owned Marvel yet. So, like. <laughs> oh, no, no. That happened, like, post Saban buying them back. So. Yeah. Or it, may, if it happened around, like, if it happened at any given time, it was probably, like, ships in the night. Like. Yeah. So, I'm like, that would have been an interesting what if. It's like, if they owned Power Rangers long enough to actually just shunt it back off to Marvel. Yeah. But then, so, after Saban gets the property back, we go to Paper Cuts. Which, again, smaller house. They've done a lot of licensed books. I think they also had Tales of the Crypt Keeper, oddly enough, um, at one point. They've done, as I mentioned, Barbie. Uh, I think they did they did WWE comics for a really short bit before Boom Studios did. Uh, yeah, just a bunch. I, I, sometimes I just look up paper cuts and they just did a bunch of random stuff. So, but with paper cuts, they decided to do it in this more of a of these mini graphic novels instead of a traditional ongoing, and they were mm-hmm. done more manga style, which had kind of an interesting kind of anime style art going for it, which I think worked worked for Power Rangers as a series, especially like oh yeah, these Nickelodeon eras. Yeah, I felt it. It really uh, of the books I read of it, but really meshed. Um, I might say what I thought about Antonio's character design on odds and ends, but you were just like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, why said? Yeah, and then so basically, as it worked out, is that they did a little bit of samurai, which was pretty decent, and then they also did so they did two samurai comics and two Megaforce books. The mm-hmm. the samurai comics pretty decent. Like I actually. Pretty, I enjoyed that one actually. If I'm being totally honest, yeah, yeah, I actually enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah, and then Mega Force was okay. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, these are actually pretty fun stories, but it's also Mega Force, so like, you can really only go up. <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to say though, like, confirm that Mister Hurley fucks it up in the pit. Yeah, but then, um. And then they had an MMPR comic, which that lasted for a free comic book day story, which is not in the archive. I don't know if it was because of the mm-hmm. whole uh, hitting tree with a car in that issue um, thing. Oof. Yeah, big oof. <laughs> oof. And then they had two of, the, uh, two of those mini GNs, um, which one of them was a Green with Evil prequel, which is co-written by a guy who's on Paranormal State. And then also... Um, <laughs> I have to mention this here just because I had to stop and just go, why? Where, basically, the whole thing is that, like, Rita sees Tommy, and before he becomes, like, before he meets the Power Rangers, and it's just like, oh, I can turn him evil. 
and like she meets up with him, but she can't find the green. She can't find the dragon coin, which oddly enough, it's similar to the uh, the Hamilton comics issue with Kimberly and the power coin being under the soda can, where instead it has been holding up her <laughs> mirror for like thousands of years. <laughs> as you do, as reader, Ripple, as you so. do, yes, and um. So she goes and meets with Tommy, and she says something at one point of just like, "It's like, oh, you could, I could be, you could be like my, like the evil son I never wanted. Um, you should call me Mommy Repulsa." And I'm like, "Why? <laughs> Why throw that out Why? there? That's just gonna s- oh stick God. in my brain forever." <laughs> mommy, right. sorry. Mommy, sorry. Um, and yeah, it looked like they had actually planned on, after they had done Megaforce, it looked like they had planned on going back to MMPR and doing more ongoing stuff with it, and then they lost the license. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that, that's been kind of the, the interesting history is, uh, you know, hey, we got something interesting going. Oh, the license got lost. Yeah. So that, that seems to be the reoccurring history up until, like, the Boom Archive actually ends with the first, I, I don't know if it was the first issue or maybe it was a free comic book day thing, but it's, like, one of the first things that they did for, like, the Power Rangers comic, the Power Rangers license within Boom. So it's very interesting yeah. to kind of just see this, like, up, like, well, one, not just a little bit of an upgrade in quality, but also, like... Oh, well, this is actually bit they finally managed to successfully have an ongoing Power Rangers series that has been going on for 6 fucking years now. Yeah, this is this has been uh like I remember when Boom Studio started coming out with stuff and it's like, "Oh my god, it's like 6 years, almost 7." Yeah, like it's yeah. been it it's definitely been interesting to see, especially compared to some of their other licensed work, WWE that kind of just yeah, petered off. Um I wonder if that's just because Vince is weird. That probably, yeah. I I don't even know if Vince probably even knew about that stuff. No, let's let's be fair. Vince was probably like, what the fuck's a comic? Yeah. <laughs> Vince has Vince McMahon had no idea what anything outside of wrestling is. And now he's dead. Well no, he's not dead, but he's dead to WWE. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty much like, uh, you know, uh, I think the best thing that would have happened to the universe is if Vic McMahon killed over. Yeah. Um, please don't raid my house. Um, <laughs> but the other, the other was him resigning and um, falling on his sword. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. Dude. Fuck him. All right. So we're gonna move on to odds and ends now. Yeah. Now that we've had our brief rant about WWE comics. Uh, speaking of ranting, uh, you mentioned the letter <laughs> section, and like, I've been trying to read it. But within the first page of the letter section, my brain just shuts off because it's like, shut up, nerds. Yeah, literally the letter section. It's just like, it's, I, I, I appreciate Boom preserving the letter section from all of these books because they are a part of Power Rangers history. Oh, yeah. Like, like I, I'm not knocking the preservation. But, <laughs> oh my but, God. But definitely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely the kick in of just like, oh my god, I'm back on a message board or some shit happened. And I'm like, oh my god, we're still arguing about this. Yeah, this is, oh my god. This is Ranger Board before Ranger Board existed. I am certain of it. And like, so it's interesting to see, like, you know, you'll have like little kids writing in, but then you'll also have people who are, you know, you have teenagers and people who are in their 20s. I think even some people who are like, I don't really like Power Rangers, but I follow your comic books and I actually really enjoy this. So you kind of just see this whole swath of, like, history of Power Rangers that kind of, think, shows in, like, this very micro form that, like, yeah, this was a cultural phenomenon. It wasn't just that little kids went crazy for it, that everybody was aware of what it was. And you had people who were older than those, you know, that little kid audience who really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it also just comes across as old-fashioned message boards as fuck, because, like, for multiple letters, you have people complaining about, you know, the whole Rita, the Rita Zed mix-up, or the fact that, like, uh, they had to have their, um, according to Saban, they had to have the emblems on their chest, even though, like, that's not how it's seen in the series, but all other merchandising had to have, like, their power coins on their chest. 
Yeah, that was something I've always wondered for ages because it's like that's not how it is in the show. But okay, it's probably just. You know, but I was yeah. like, I don't know if it- I was five, so who you know, I'm not gonna know. Like, oh, it was probably mandated by some. Yeah, so I don't know if that was a copyright thing or a licensing thing. I don't know. But basically they said in the back, it's like, we're required by Saban for anything that's not the TV series. They have to have their, their power coins on their chest. Uh, but people complain yeah. about the power coins on their chest. Um, complaining when, you know, Rocky, Aisha, and Adam came in. Like, there's even one point. There's one guy who would write in multiple times, and I think he was a teenager, that people would be arguing with him because in his first letter he called Rocky, Aisha, and Adam wannabes. Oh, no. And then people are just like, like, oh, we all know that they, like, they let the series because they wanted more money and they blew it. And then it's just like, oh, my God, this is just so, wow. It is really just an encapsulation of what the early 90s discourse of Power Rangers was. And but yeah, it's the yeah. same complaints over and over again. It's like you didn't have to publish these, but I get it. Um, like as I, I mentioned to you when we were writing this episode, is like it is fun to see letter sections that were published in books because sometimes they do publish. I know Marvel sometimes publishes their letter section for books to kind of fill space within their graphic novels. And so yeah. the first, so the first compilation that they had of. Um, Kelly Sue's run on Captain Marvel has the letter section for the first six issues. And literally the first two issues, it's just nerds writing in to complain that they didn't like the new Jamie McKelvey suit and that she needed to be put back in her sexy black swimsuit costume. And then eventually the letters start changing of all of like the women who are reading just being like, Hey, what the hell? We actually like this new suit and we like this book. <laughs> and thus the Carol Shut the fuck up, nerds. Yeah, shut the fuck up, nerds. Thus the Carol Core was born. And I always remember those when people are just like, oh well, Brie Larson's like suit and cap in the Captain Marvel movie was just too sexy and people just can't live up to that. I'm like, bull fucking shit! I remember those letters, you are lying. <laughs> I was there, unlike yeah. you, Brandon. <laughs> Random weirdo. Random, just looking to- random anime picture, first name, bunch of numbers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, letter section, great for preservation. Kind of mind-melting to read, uh, to see the same complaints about the issues over and over again. Oh, yeah, it's just, just like, oh my god, shit never fucking changes. Yeah, like, the more things change, the less they do, you know? <laughs> Yeah, now now we can just read them every day. But at least we can block. Yeah, them. that's true. Like, I gotta you know, just be like block by instead of being like, oh, let me read this letter section. Oh my god, this person's really angry. Yeah, and, it kind of yeah. it reminds me of just old beefs and zines and stuff or fan subs. Yeah, it's like oh god, starting a whole beef with somebody in a letter section of a comic book. I'm sure like. Again, and this is such a microcosm. I'm sure that, like, there's some books back in the 80s where, like, <laughs> there's just somebody in, like, there's just people, the same people fighting about X-Men in the back of those litter section, I'm sure. I'm wondering if one of them was Christopher Daniels. Oh, I'm certain. I'm certain. <laughs> um, somebody needs to interview him and ask him that. But uh, also, I'm, I'm reminded, like, of someone who once said recently on the internet, of just like, oh man, remember fandom didn't have discourse and nobody yelled at each other and people were like, bullshit, people did this all the time. Yeah, this is proof. <laughs> this is proof. Anyway, um, so kind of moving on from those letter sections, um, kind of the first note that we really had about, especially going into the Hamilton era, is that, wow, Billy's speech is way worse than this. <laughs> like... Eventually, it also turns down, but it's just like there are just words. It's like nobody actually says this. Yeah, it's definitely has it's definitely syndrome of like we need to make this character sound smart, so we're gonna open a thesaurus and just use the biggest word we can. Yeah. Um. But I said that like the way that he would come across sometimes, it's just like I would just pull up a very specific line from line read from Key and Peel. Splendiferous yeah. Finch. Finch. <laughs> Northwestern University. That's <laughs> yes, that's how it came off. Yeah, it's so bad. Um, again, they t- like 
like, I'm just remembering he used the actual, like, scientific family name for, like, moths and butterflies. I'm like, bro, what the fuck? Yeah, I kind of did that with, with the, um, with the elephants and the bats later on, if I remember right, as well. Um, yeah, I did actually, again, they toned it down, and, like, by the time I got to Marvel, it was more consistent with how he was being written in, like, season two and season three. And then yeah. by the time Zeo comes around, he's just... I, I, the people writing the Zeo comic, they definitely wanted Billy to kind of be a big focus on it, I think. Yeah, because it definitely, that was kind of the sad thing. I think it's like, oh, it's it's actually going into, like, Billy feeling a little left out, no longer being a ranger. Right. And then it ended. Yeah, but <laughs> again, they were writing him like he sounded in fucking Zeo, so, which was, which yeah. was good, which was good. Um, Which was very And, you know, we touched on this a little bit when we were going over, like, the particular eras, but it is wild to see the amount of talent that has touched this particular franchise over the years. Oh, yeah. It's so weird. Yeah, because, again, Steve Ditko just made, like, seeing Steve Ditko on not one, but two just made me stop and go, what? Seriously? And then, like, again, baby, you, you had both people who were involved with Deadpool had touched this book at one point. Yeah. You know, both Liefeld and Nasiza. So I think that was just, it, that was just especially wild to see. Cause for Power Rangers, you don't think of a whole lot of like, in general, you don't think of a whole lot of talent going into it in terms of like, not, not to say that like the people who have been involved aren't talented because you have to be really talented to spin a 30 year franchise out of, Whatever Saban was trying to do with that first season. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's... You, you don't really think about it in terms of, like... You know, the TV series, like, there's not a lot of people who kind of got a continuing fame off of that. Like, you, probably, like, Amy yeah. Jo Johnson, Rose McIver. I'm trying to think of anybody else who kind of had, like, a really continuing... Brandon J. Brandon J. I think... Yoshi kind of does a lot of independent work. Yeah. Um, I know he keeps pretty busy on that, but it's like, you don't see anyone like A-list movie level. Yeah. Like, someone like Leonardo DiCaprio didn't come from this. Yeah, like the closest we got almost was Amy Adams in Lightspeed Rescue, but her agent talked her out of it. And I, like, I, I was thinking about the 2017 movie out of everyone that came from that, that kind of stuck around was like, was it Darcy Montgomery? Darcy Montgomery, he was in Stranger Things. Stranger Things, yeah. Uh, Ludi Lynn yeah. showed up in the Mortal Kombat movie. Um, oh, yeah. Becky G has done, she's kind of, she has a semi, she has a pretty decently successful, like, singing career. And she actually did a, yeah. she did a song for the Aladdin movie, which um, I cannot remember, I think Naomi Scott. Naomi, Naomi Scott. Scott was in. She was in the Aladdin movie. Yeah. So, like, everybody in that, I can't think of Billy's actor though. I don't know if he's done anything major, but all the oh, um, R.J. Cyrus. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah. He's definitely gone on to do like really cool projects. Okay, good, I good. Mean, I like. He's mostly been in westerns. It looks oh, like. oh cool. So. But yeah, all the A-list actors they brought into that were you know Brian Cranston and Elizabeth Banks. Who to play, yeah, you know, and- Zordon and Rita and all oh yeah, obviously Bill Hader as yeah. you know, Alpha. It was like I think that was pre Barry too, so like nobody <laughs> knew the depths that Bill Hader could truly plunge. Yeah, and Brian Cranston had just recently made a name for himself with Breaking yeah. Bad. So So it's just kinda like it's not known as a big jumping point, and the people that have gone on, they've done successful, but you like you don't hear about like how you know this launched the career of a very young actor or something who's now like super a list. Yeah, but so, but then you like see the comics, and you just see the names of the people who have come through it, like maybe Nasiza, Scott Lobdell, Dan Slott, Ron Lim. Um, you know, that early image run that was being edited by Rob Liefeld, even if they only did one issue. Like, that's still a part of early image comics history. And so, yeah, it's just wild to see all of the houses it passed through, all of the people who have been involved. And it just shows that 
comics is definitely a work for higher industry a lot of the time oh yeah <laughs> yeah it pretty much is um and not not unlike acting <laughs> or professional or wrestling. professional wrestling the next bit we want to touch on was uh so definitely this is an ongoing issue across anything that featured zordon but no one can figure out zordon's face no, it was it was real bad, uh, which I get it. It's because he's a floating head. And it's that's something that's good to see, like, on the screen and animated mm-hmm. in some way. But when you're trying to distill it in a photo or I- even in a drawing, like, that's a little hard to translate. Yeah, so you'll sometimes get the case of, like, what happened in the first Hamilton issue where uh, Zordon just looks like a cum sprite from Ogilaf. Yes. When you mentioned that, I'm like, oh my god, I rem- I-, I need to go back and re- read some of that uh, comic. Yeah, ugh, but yeah, it's just like, Zordon's face throughout the... He's definitely going through it. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he is. Like, the closest I would say that, some, that they actually managed to get to nailing what Zordon would kind of look like was probably in the, um, the image book. But he's just really, yeah. literally in that he's just a floating green head in a jar. He looks more like a um, he looks more like a virtual projection of like what Zordon would probably look like versus like you know mm-hmm. kind of the ghostly floating head that he was. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on with the Hamilton run, this is a brief thing, is I noticed that they would do a lot of visual gags with bulk shirts. Mm-hmm. And the two of them that really drew me was, it was that one where Ernie was talking about how he got, a, like, a piece of clothing from the Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bulk was just talking shit while drinking milkshakes because they couldn't have him drink booze. Right. Um, and he's just talking shit. It's like, oh, well, they should put my face on merchandise, you know, blah, 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 and just talking shit about Power Rangers. And then it's revealed later he's wearing a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers t-shirt. Right. <laughs> Uh, the other one that really got me was Bulkamania. <laughs> what you, what are you going to do when Bulkamania comes running for you? <laughs> or running all over you? Oh my god. Who cares? Hulk Hogan sucks. Bulk rules. Yeah. We're, we're a pro-bulk podcast, as always. We are we are pro-bulk anti-Hulk Hogan. Yes. So. <laughs> um... Yeah, I just felt those were very neat little visual gags for, you know, 90s comics. Oh, for sure. And you also wanted to touch on this next bit as well. Yeah, it was one of the more interesting things I got from this was how, you know, when you're doing extra media for a franchise and how much that has changed so drastically, particularly post-MCU and post-Phase 1 MCU. So, like, a lot of the early 90s and into the 2000s, but mainly in the 90s of the Hamilton and Marvel runs, it was very much there as in, like, uh, kids can pick it up on a newsstand because they still were doing that sort of thing at the time. I do very distinctly remember that. You know, just, just, and it was mostly stuff like that. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you can get this issue of, like, Batman here. It was supposed to, like... Uh, here's this newsstand comic for a kid to maybe read while the parents go do something at the store. Right. And so they were just more on banking on what Power Rangers was, and that obviously dictated the license. 2000 saw a lot more of that, like, similar to that, I think. And then once you got to the paper cuts, because that's around the time, like, the MCU is really, really starting to take off mm-hmm. and really become this like, like, oh, you can do this like multiple fran, like multiple media franchise thing and start looking into that. You were starting to see more of just like this is extends like there's smaller stories, maybe even extend or reboot until you finally get to kind of boom where yeah we have basically this whole part of the canon that gets you know focused on a bit more which is you know the multiverse of power rangers and all that uh it, you know there's actual effort to tell like an arching story that comics can do right um as opposed to you know back in the 90s we're like okay yeah we could do an arching s- storytelling and we'll try to do it later before you know the license goes poo. right 
But uh, we're, we're just mostly interested in just churning out comics for kids to read. Yeah, so I think definitely I agree with you on that, of just kind of seeing the evolution of, not to say that there aren't comics out there still that are, you know, oriented to do that, but, like, definitely kind of having a a story that somebody can just pick up and read and not, you know, deal with has is kind mm. of becoming a little bit of a lost art. Yeah. Like the last Marvel book that I can think of was really like that was probably Scotty's Scotty Young's run on Rocket Raccoon. Like mm-hmm. where he specifically set out to make it like these are stories that would be take, you know, only take place in one issue or maybe two issues at most. But yeah. Don't really have like an overarching theme, but just, you know, something that you can pick up and read. And not to say that this is a, you know, that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's definitely something that I think definitely gets relegated only to kids' comics these days. Yeah, it it's definitely a shift in focus mm-hmm. of what they want to do. Yeah. It, it's, it, it, yeah, like you said, it's not a bad thing. Like, I, I'm not trying to be like, oh, this is better. It's more of like, wow, they've really kind of shifted that focus into, like, we want to, you know, give, like, the Power Rangers Boom Studio comics really feel like we're giving more to fans of the series for ages. Yeah. This is where that focus is. Uh, and it also just shows where the focus is just in general with, you know, big producers and executives and all that. They want to hook you into everything. Yeah. So, you know, this works for one franchise, the MCU mainly. Mm-hmm. So it's going to work for everything, right? Not really. Um, Not really. <laughs> I mean, especially I think for the, like the current boom books, which we're going to get into more next year, actually. Um, yeah. But I think for the current boom books, it works to have, like, again, you have, like, an established franchise like Power Rangers, but I think you're also willing to kind of dig deeper into MMPR. Because, yeah, you've had Monster of the Week stories for, like, MMPR for years. Like, now yeah. it's like, well, let's do something else with that. Yeah, it's, it's let's dive into, like, let's dive into the dynamics of of these characters kind of going from the conflict of power rangers being mostly about the monster of the week uh-huh. maybe some internal conflict that's going on with one of them to teach a kids a lesson uh-huh. to like no the conflict is going to be within the team and their like interpersonal relationships and what's going on there and they sometimes fight a monster uh-huh. so uh yeah it's kind of cool yeah. the other thing i wanted to note uh was I didn't find too much of this, but it definitely showed that Boom was very interested in preserving this. Yeah, for sure. Because um, the scans got updated. If you, uh, somebody, like, did a, com- like, a couple comparisons on the wiki, where you kind of see where a fan scanned them in, and you can definitely tell, like, the comic itself was deteriorating mm-hmm. in terms of, like, the color and everything. Uh, and they they clean them up basically. They now look like you, they they now look like if you were to just freshly pick them up. Yeah, and like it's not a perfect preservation effort because like mm-hmm. um, there was definitely a couple of pages where it's like oh they they mi- like kind of maybe mixed up that was supposed to be like a two page spread because oh uh, I didn't yeah. talk about this in the particularly in the Marvel era but like I think Anisiza especially was obsessed. With writing two-page spreads where you had to turn the book vertically. Yeah. Oh my god, that is a huge pet peeve of mine. Is that it just throws off the reading experience. Um, Especially if you don't incorporate it well. Um, I say about to reread Odyssey again. Uh, Odyssey, the the sci-fi book by Matt Fraction and Christian Ward. Because I forgot... That the first issue, and they didn't put this in the first trade, but they put it in the uh, the giant compendium of the entire book, has a fold-out timeline giant on one side, giant spread of art on the other. <laughs> so, like, but that works for that book. Um, but for most books, trying to do, like, a horizontal, like, horizontal to vertical page turn just does not work. Um, I think for there was yeah. one particular like double page spread where they just they, it got cut off on the wrong side. Um, there's one book where there's one issue and from the Marvel run, which was a very interesting concept of like the Dark Rangers. Yeah, uh, that does not have the last page. 
I was reading it. I'm like, it just ends. And I had to go find out later that the last page got left out. So I don't know if it was a case of like the copy they had just was not complete. Or if it just got left out in error when they were compiling the whole thing. And then there's another... And one of the other stories, they mixed up some of the pages, so you had to go and read the next two pages first and then go back to that other one, so that way it actually reads correctly. Yeah. yeah so. But it's not perfect, it's not- but they definitely put in a good effort to try and preserve this, like, th- these bits of Power Rangers history. Yeah, and like we mentioned earlier, like, licensing hell really got away- in the way of some of the preservation. Because, mm-hmm. so. like, but yeah, you know, they couldn't preserve the movie, okay. they couldn't preserve the movie comic, they couldn't preserve the ones involving VR Troopers or Masked Rider, but they did put in a genuine effort to make sure that, like, they could do as yeah. most as they could. Um, I guess we're we're kind of reaching the end to our verdict of this whole thing, and I think we both agree it was, it was a weird experience. 100%. <laughs> I feel like I engaged in this more as looking at it through, like, more of a media history lens over immediate criticism at lens because when i was trying to do it more in a like a critical lens i'm like this is just all power rangers but it really kind of clicked with me when it just looked more history uh the comics themselves were very flavored by the entertainment industry at that time period uh and it, it really just felt like going through a time capsule and seeing how much has changed uh, it was a neat journey to see how Hamilton handled it because it was the 90s versus paper cuts handling it because it was the 20 teens. Uh, like I said, as a story, it kind of just liquefied my brain trying to take it in all at once, uh, especially the early years, because that was just when they were just they were just pulp for kids to pick up at a newsstand. And yes, I was one of them. And it was fine for that. If you're not pressed for time. And want to see how a multimedia franchise has done in the past, uh, has been done in the past, or just interested in like the preservation, I'd suggest pick it up. Yeah, after recollecting the pool my brain turned into after reading a thousand pages of classic Power Rangers comics in the space of a day, I could say these books are just kind of odd. I love that most have been preserved in a published format, and there are others that are still pretty easy to find online, uh, but it definitely felt like speed running MMPR. A lot of them are fun Monster of the Week books, but I wouldn't say they reach any of them reach the level of Boom's six-year epic. But, like, not even close. But it was still cool to see this bit of Power Rangers history being preserved here with the amount of talent that have touched this franchise. And it's just a lesson that no one is above doing a licensed book for a paycheck. All right, well, so we're at the end of the episode here. Once again, we want to thank Kate Nix for composing our bangy theme song. You can find her at katenix.com, where you can find her band camp, merch, and streaming. As of the publishing of this podcast, she's on a break while she works on the next season of her digital variety hour, The Lounge, which is coming to you live on Tuesday, September 13th on Twitch. Uh, follow her on Zintac on Twitter and Instagram for more updates. And then as of the publishing of this episode, uh, Bandcamp Friday will also be happening so you can purchase her music with 100% of the proceeds going to her on the first Friday of September. We also want to thank Joe Hunter for our podcast art that you see whenever you listen to our podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Joe underscore Hunter, which also is his Patreon. On Instagram at Joe Bloody Hunter. On Threadless at JoeHunter.Threadless.com. His comic book, Beast Heart Strikers with Land Pits, is currently on Comixology again, It's also having backups for Beast Heart Strikers in Radiant Black, which you can pick up on Comixology or your local comic book store. We also want to thank Kurt Yoder for editing our podcast, as always. You can find him at GreatSGCreations on Etsy, GreatSGPixels on Twitter. You can also go to GreatSGCreations.square.site. Uh, where you can find his parlors as well as our very modern Dr. K sticker. Yes, we have merch now. We are very excited. Uh, you can also find him at GreatSG on Twitter, which is his personal Twitter account. Uh, thank you to our $5 patrons, uh, which is Griffman so far. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to support us on Patreon, we'll give you more information in a little bit. Our wrestler of the podcast through this month is William Regal. He's... One of the best veterans you can get advice out from out there. Uh, you can catch him every week on AEW Dynamite, where he shamelessly flirts, flirts with Excalibur. You can also uh, find him on, at Real King Regal on Twitter, and also on his own podcast, uh, Gentleman Villain with William Regal, which you can find wherever you listen to your best podcasts out there, including us. 
Right, you can find me on Twitter at VelociRiker. I also, uh, most my public uh, Instagram and TikTok is for my store, Coda's uh, Crafts. TikTok, it's Coda's Magical Crafts. And uh, yeah, my store, if you go to Coda's Crafts, you'll have the uh, bio link, which links to both stores on Etsy and on uh, Square, which is uh, Coda's Magical Crafts on Etsy, Coda's Magical Crafts.square.site. Uh, we're also doing, uh, as of the publishing of this podcast, we are also doing a um, open market in Raleigh, uh, Geek and Grub. Uh, it is on September 11th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, there's stuff like food, uh, there's other uh, merch vendors um, like myself. Kurt's going to be there as well. And uh, there's also food trucks. So if you're in the Raleigh area and want to have a good fun time, come check out Geek and Grub on September 11th. All right, and then uh, for us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rangersplain. Uh, we use Twitter a little bit more, so it might be easier to go there. We can also find us on Patreon at Rangersplain, so you can support us financially. Uh, you can also find all of our show notes on WordPress, which is going to be rangersplain.wordpress.com. If you're not able to support us financially on Patreon, that's perfectly fine. We just ask that if you are listening to us on a um service that allows you to rank podcasts that you give us a five-star rating and review that helps us a lot and helps us beat the algorithm is an easy free way for you to support us all right next month we're still kind of in our buffer period but we get into the latest crossover with the king of the monsters himself that's right it's godzilla versus the mighty Morphin power rangers stay safe and may the power protect you Go. Ranger.